fighting for freedom every day. Broadcasting from the heartland of America, the next generation in conservative talk radio. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Yes, indeed it is. What's up? Welcome into it. It is a pre-Friday celebration. Greatest day of the entire week. You see the light at the end of the tunnel. Still got some things to do, but yet we can still have fun doing them as well. Because you're checked out by Friday, man. I already know you. It's okay. We're going through the dead zone of the year without any holidays around the corner. So I guess there's Fat Tuesday next week and then Ash Wednesday. That starts next week, doesn't it? I believe so. Oh, how the time flies. Welcome into it. This is The Voice Reason. I am Andy Hoosier, broadcasting out of the heart of the nation here in Wichita, Kansas, on our flagship radio station. We are all over the country, multiple radio stations and TV, live streaming, podcasting. However you watch or listen to the show, your millennial general reporting for duty like we do every single day. Coming up, bottom of the hour today, Dr. Marion Mass. She is a practicing physician in the Philadelphia area. She is also the co-founder of Practicing Physicians of America. We'll chat with her about healthcare costs, the changing of the healthcare industry over the past few years. Is it getting better or is it getting worse? And I'd love to know where do we rank as the United States? Where do we rank compared to the rest of the world after Obamacare took effect? Have we lost any rankings? Are we getting better? What's the scoop on all that? So we'll uh, have some fun conversation with her in just a little bit. I want to start the day off today, though, with a bit of a game. We haven't done a bit of a, a game on the program in a while. So let's go ahead and start off with a game for you today with our latest in what's trending. What's trending today. And I ask you the question today for our little game that we like to play is uh, obviously we like to poke fun a little bit from the other side of the aisle. Just, just a little bit, just a little bit, not personal attacks. We just like to question their credibility and their IQ levels because sometimes they don't say the brightest things out there. So I have to ask the question for you. Here's your little game. Is out of the two audio clips that we're going to play today, which one is the most absurd out of all of them? There are two different clips, one of them from Fox News, where earlier today on The View, they made a comment about racism in America and are the majority of Americans racist in the United States. Just don't believe that in my day-to-day life that the people that you're encountering harbor racist viewpoints. I do think that this division that if we're you creating... you like me, you would believe differently. But you know what, uh, Alyssa, the woman, the woman... So, but just to, just to understand, are we saying, do we think the vast majority of Americans are racist? That's I, what I'm trying to... I, I, I hope I, we I understand. I think that there is a significant portion um, that are racist, and you can't dismiss my lived experience. I, know, I never yeah, would when say. I, yeah, I, don't, I, I would never. When I say that there are a lot of racists in this country, oh, I, I just experienced my son walking down the beach being called the N-word several times in Florida. There's, there is. So don't you can't say I believe that the vast majority of people aren't racist. But again, we, I, we okay, don't that's know that. Fair. There are 300 million people in this country. Right. I would never minimize your lived experience any yeah. more than I would yeah. mine but, as but, an but, Arab woman. I love how they backtrack on these two. I don't think the majority of the country is racist. Well, you've never been my skin color. Well, that's true. That That's true. It must mean that everybody's racist because your son had a bad encounter. That's true. You are absolutely right. The racism in America. That hit tip to Fox News. That was Sonny, by the way, apparently on The View. I don't know who Sonny is, but apparently that's somebody that's on The View, where she was on another show about their genealogy and found out that her ancestors apparently were slave owners. Oh, my. Oh, my. And the comment after 
said report of her family being slave owners as a black woman. So therefore, she gets to hold the race card and do whatever she wants to with it. She goes, wow, I'm a little bit shocked. I just always thought of myself as half Puerto Rican. I didn't think my family was originally from Spain and slaveholders, I think it's actually pretty interesting that my husband and I have shared roots. So I don't, I do appreciate that, and I think it's greater for our children to know this information. I guess it's a fact of life that this is how some people made their living on the backs of others. I had no idea the Spanish roots to this context. I'm still sort of shocked at the depth of the ties. I think she should pay reparations as well. What do you think? California passing the reparations, and she lives. Obviously, in one of those big liberal cities, New York, California, L.A., wherever it may be, I think she needs to pay reparations even as a former slave owner through her ancestry. She needs to pay reparations as a black woman. What do you think? All right, so that's audio number one. This one just might go down in the books as one of our archived um, great ones for AOC because she is one of our favorite individuals, right? She is one of our favorites that we like to poke fun of. But she's back out there talking about immigration after the failed immigration vote that kind of unraveled itself and fell apart yesterday in the Senate, Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez with case number two on the stupidest thing that Democrats have said in the last day. We currently do not have the economic or social structural capacity to take care of our seniors, and we will increasingly not have that yep. if we, quote unquote, lock up our border and shut down, shut down immigration. In fact, the thing that has distinguished U.S. economic performance from other countries like Japan or other, uh, you know, or other de developed economies is the fact that our pro-immigration policies actually allow us to continue in our economic growth, whereas similar countries with anti or more kind of closed border policies experience economic stagnation when they submit themselves to this xenophobic kind of border panic yeah. narrative that Fox News, frankly, seeks to peddle and instill in so many people. <laughs> oh, there it is. I'm telling you, there it is. That is the uh, our favorite individual, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. We cannot afford to take care of our elderly and our senior citizens across the nation. And the only reason that we cannot take care of them is because we don't have complete open border policy. Now, don't mind the fact that we have New York and Chicago and San Francisco and all these other places that have claimed to be the sanctuary cities, and then they can't afford to take care of them. They're homeless. They're committing crimes. We're closing down hotels to put them in. We're booting people out of different uh, homes. We're doing it whatever we can. We're shutting down YMCA's just to house them. We're spending billions of dollars on social programs with the food stamps and so on and so forth to take care of these individuals that we can't afford already, but because we're not bringing more of them in means that we can't take care of our senior citizens here in the United States. Wow. Wow. I mean, I'm telling you, man, does she feel like that she is an adult in this conversation? It's She's almost one of those, and I'm sure the Democrats feel this way, so I almost kind of feel sorry for you Democrats, although I kind of chuckle a little bit behind the scenes as well. Just a, just a little bit. But I, I, I wonder if they think that she's kind of like that. You ever have that friend where you're having a conversation and that friend comes in just out of the blue is kind of the third party in that conversation and just says something randomly stupid that makes no sense, has no relevance to the conversation at all. And you listen to them, you shake their, you, you nod your head like you're in green and then, okay, and then you continue on with your normal conversation. That's AOC to the Democrat Party. And I'm sure she feels so good about being part of the big kid conversation. I'm a big kid now. There you go. 
go. We can't take care of our elderly because we don't allow the open border policy. We want that xenophobic lockdown that Fox News and conservatives talk about oh so much. Wow. All right, let's get into what's trending, shall we? <laughs> what's trending today? Yeah, that broke your brain a little bit, didn't it? Welcome into it for a brief Friday here on The Voice of Reason. Let's unravel some more DC spin that's going on here, shall we? We have, after this disaster of a vote of the immigration bill yesterday, the Republicans are in turmoil now in the Senate, and apparently we've just lost our fight. We've lost the mojo already. At one vote, one singular time, we didn't get the way that some Republicans wanted, so now everything just fell apart. All the work and effort that we put into a bill, that one didn't work out, so we just give up and just give the Democrats whatever they want now. Because afterwards, after the vote yesterday, Chuck Schumer put on the floor of the Senate a vote to essentially do the exact same thing for Ukraine and Israel that the immigration bill would have done, but without the immigration portion of this. And as you know, that's their number one priority. They don't give a you-know-what about the southern border. The only reason they were even having the sit-down conversation about it was to actually fund Ukraine and Israel. We've said that many times before, and it's kind of obvious now, because they just put up the bill with everything except for the immigration policy. It was no skin off their back. They were telling their supporters, they were telling their constituents that the border would have remained open even if this bill would have passed. James Langford, as much as I enjoy listening to him, and I, I do believe in him, I think that he has great intention, and unfortunately this bill didn't turn out to be the most conservative thing. So every Republican except for four in the Senate, including James Langford, partnering with Mitt Romney, Susan Collins, Lisa Murkowski, those are the only ones that actually voted for that bill from the Republican side that went out in a bombshell. And now we have Republicans angry that we didn't pass an immigration piece of legislation, so they're throwing their hands up and just giving up. In fact, they're giving up to such a degree that there's a bill that was pre uh, promoted yesterday, the Chuck Schumer bill, that was the Ukrainian-Israeli uh, funding that passed with overwhelming numbers. In fact, passed 67 to 32 with the vast majority of Republicans getting on board with Democrats and passing that bill. Now, I thought that Republicans were going to stand strong and say, wait, if you want Ukrainian funding, you have to do immigration policy. And they're like, well, yeah, we did. So we failed and that didn't work. So now we have to do this bill. No, we don't. Why is it that we only have a one shot here for the immigration policy? Why is it that we only do one? We're just one and done. That's it. We're not going to continue this on. We're not going to try again. We're not going to tweak the bill. We're going to beefen it up a little bit, make it more appealing to Republicans, do whatever we have to do to get the bill passed for immigration as well. Why did we just concede and just say, well, uh, we're all done. Not the more we can do. Just go ahead and pass the Ukrainian funding bill now. Now, it didn't pass the Senate. What it passed was they passed the vote to allow the conversation to go further, so I'm sure the numbers may change just a little bit as the bill gets closer to actually being finalized in the Senate, but they did pass overwhelming majority with Republican support in order to allow the conversation to have for the Ukrainian funding and the Israeli funding bill to go through the Senate and over to the House of Representatives. Now, as of right now, Mike Johnson says that the bill is still dead on arrival. He says that he wants to see the bill, but he's not optimistic it's going to go anywhere because there are still the vast majority of Republicans in the House that are refusing to talk about Ukrainian funding until we do something about the border. Which would make sense because maybe we should do something that prioritizes the United States with a little bit of an attachment thereon afterwards. Be like, okay, I guess we can throw something on there for Ukraine or for Israel if we have to, but let's focus right now solely on our country and America first policy and actually fix our own issue before we start just throwing money elsewhere around the world. Would make sense. That would be kind of a commonsensical 
conversation to have, I think. But either Republicans are just giving up or they're working on something else behind the scenes, but I highly doubt they're working on something else behind the scenes. James Langford wrote that bill and it has been working on it with Chuck Schumer and everybody else involved in that one since October. So that's October, November, December, January. We're five months in. That was five months to write that bill. Now you can scrap it, toss it into the request bin in the corner of the office, or you can do something to actually beef in it, tweak it a little bit. It's 350 pages. It's not like it's a thousand-page bill that we see daily, and Nancy Pelosi's like, we need to pass it to see what's in it. We should do something to just tweak this one a little bit. All right, Republicans, what's your issue with this bill? Let's do something, because if we are playing politics, then we're the ones at fault here. We don't want an immigration bill until Trump gets into office. We're going to let it be a disaster down there for political campaign talking points on the on the campaign trail. If that's what we're doing, then we have a serious issue. But I'm hopeful that at least the conservative portion of the Republican Party wants to do something, and they're not just about the election with negativity, but they can say that they voted for a bill that actually would solve an issue leading up to the fact that Donald Trump can enforce it by the time he gets into office, if that's who's the candidate going to be, and if he gets into office in January of next year. You would think that would be the mindset. But are we just scrapping it? Are we just giving up? Just, okay, we're five months down the drain. We'll just throw it away. I guess we'll just vote for Ukrainian funding without the immigration, which was our stipulation at the very beginning. What are we doing here? Are the Republicans that weak need? I was getting optimistic. I, I know, I know. We always say that the Republicans always cower with their own shadow. They're always scared of their own tail. But at the same time, I was thinking that maybe they were changing a little bit. Just a little bit. They are working on ousting Mitch McConnell for promoting the bill in the first place. Cool. Can we have a solution, though? Let's go back to the drawing board here. This is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Fighting for freedom every day. This is The Voice of Reason. With Andy Hoosier. I'm trying to stay positive here. I'm always the eternal optimist. You know that to me. So let's try and stay positive here, shall we? Let's get in our Zen moment for just a moment here, shall we? We are seeing some transition and some changes in the Republican Party right now. We have the latest headline of, I don't even know who this individual is, Congresswoman McMorris uh, from the House Energy and Commerce Committee, the chairwoman of that, Kathy McMorris Rogers. Uh, the state of Washington has announced that she will be not running for re-election in the upcoming election, opening up that seat. We heard the headlines yesterday, which we broke, and we wanted to confirm, which it is confirmed now. Ronna McDaniel, the chairwoman for the RNC, Republican National Committee, says that she will be resigning and stepping down at the end of this month after the South Carolina primary, which is interesting. Why in the middle of an election? I don't know. We only have a 2024 major presidential election and, and down ballot elections all over the nation, but why not just step down in the middle of it? Why the heck not? Now we have the looking to the oust of Mitch McConnell in the Senate, which is going to be a tough one, but maybe it's about time and maybe some of the gaps that we've seen from him over the past few months might just push that over the edge and allow that to happen. Because if you remember when he got voted in as the majority in what, last fall? Then, uh, yeah, he got voted on with like 90% of the Republican vote. Everybody was like, yeah, sure, let Mitch McConnell keep doing it. And now Mitch McConnell is not able to function. And he was advocating for a bill 
that was disastrous and then turned around and voted against it at the end when it actually came down to it. He was telling Republicans to vote for it and then said, well, in this era, Donald Trump kind of runs the party and Donald Trump doesn't want it. So his MAGA supporters aren't going to vote for it. So I'm going to vote against it. But it's a decent bill and we worked really hard on it. Like, what is this guy talking about? That's the kind of leadership we have in the Republican Party right now. So Ronna McDaniel's out. Mitch McConnell could be out soon. We have another one walking away, which makes Mitch McConnell, if you're gone, I mean, I guess we can give you the proper farewell already. I, mean, I don't know when that's actually going to happen, and hopefully it does happen. But Ronna McDaniel as well, let's give you the proper farewell. Ronna McDaniel! And we could see some great uh, leadership there. According to Donald Trump, he's advocating for the chairman of the North Carolina, I believe, chairman of the state Republican Party there to be the new RNC chair. So we'll see if that happens. And if it does, maybe that could turn some things around. But I'm here to tell you that state Republican parties are kind of struggling right now across the nation as well. Don't get me started on the one here in Kansas. That's a disaster and a half. And not going to get into that conversation right now. But leadership changes are good. It's necessary. I guess it's a day late and a dollar short, but, you know, better late than never. Got to stay optimistic, Andy. Better late than never. We're in turmoil going into an election year, and I'm getting more worried about what the state of the Republican Party is going to be moving closer and closer to actual election time. As we fail on an immigration bill that was written by a relatively conservative senator out of the state of Oklahoma with James Langford that came out to be a not-so-conservative bill that was completely dead in the Senate, would have been dead on arrival in the House of Representatives, five months gone, and then we throw our hands up in the air and vote overwhelmingly to push forward with a bill that's straight Ukrainian funding when Republicans said we wouldn't do that unless we get a border bill. Where are we when it comes to actually just reforming it, tweaking it, and trying all over again? We're not allowing it, which right now, speaking of turmoil, there was another, I don't know if you've seen this or not, this is about a week old, but Congresswoman Lauren Boebert out of the state of Colorado was if you remember she changed districts and she's going to be running in a different district now because of her family issues the divorce that she had with her ex-husband which apparently her ex-husband's now in jail for like assault or something so the whole family's in disarray and she's trying to remain in Colorado as a congresswoman but has moved to the fourth congressional district there was a straw poll that was done at the end of January after a uh, some type of town hall meeting or some type of conference or something that happened with all five of the candidates And Lauren Boebert came in dead last in this one. Now, I'm not saying she's a bad congresswoman. She's done some great conservative stuff. Her and, for whatever reason, her and Marjorie Taylor Greene do not get along, which is kind of interesting. But in this straw poll, came in dead last compared to the other four candidates for the Republican side on that fourth district. Sounds like she may be out as well. The turmoil continues among Republican ranks when the Democrats are the ones sabotaging themselves. We have to lower ourselves below that. Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. When Reason meets Radio, this is the Voice of Reason. With Andy yes, indeed it is. Welcome back into it. Boy, we have so much to talk about today. So apparently the Supreme Court may be making a decision on Donald Trump being on the ballot in Colorado soon. There is some testimony going on today and apparently not going very well for the anti-Trump attorney that was trying to prove that the Insurrection Act disallowed him to run for president or be on the ballot. So we'll see some, I'm guessing, some type of judgment coming out on that soon. But there's now speculation it's going to be 
9-0 and in favor of allowing Trump to be on the ballot. And if that's the case, then it just topples every other case that's going on around the, uh, around the country in Michigan, I believe Maine, maybe some others that we're talking about trying to do some stuff, but uh, not really. Everybody's hanging on the balance here, what's going on, on in Colorado. Uh, we'll talk some more about that a little bit later, especially after you, know, you mentioned going into the break, the straw poll for Lauren Boebert in District Number 4 coming in last. Now, again, there's like 30 people that voted in the straw poll because it's a small rural district. But nonetheless, out of all of them that voted there, she came in dead last. So interesting, interesting things. A lot of changes going on in the, in the Republican Party. Ronna McDaniel on the way out is the RNC chairwoman. Donald Trump has his pick on what he think may happen there. And now the ousting of Mitch McConnell could be on the horizon relatively soon as well. With that being said, let's shift gears a bit here. What's trending today? What's trending today? I, I love one of the other topics that we love talking about on the program, obviously, is the healthcare industry and ways that we can improve it. And my question has been since we've seen the transition of the healthcare industry overall, when we saw Obamacare take effect, we see the ongoing centralization of healthcare, when we see premiums that are doubling, deductibles that are doubling and tripling, we see rural hospitals that are uh, struggling all over the country. Are we getting better with our healthcare or are we getting worse? I know just what I laid out seems to be a bit of a rhetorical question, but I am truly curious. Uh, not only the quality here in the U.S., but how we compare up to the rest of the globe as well. Really happy to have on the program to give us some updates on the healthcare industry overall. She is the co-founder of the Practicing Physicians of America. She's also a physician out of the Philadelphia area. Excited to have on the program, Dr. Marion Mass. Marion, how are you today? Oh, I'm great. We're getting warmer here in the Philly area. Ooh. We don't have anyone in the Super Bowl, but, you know, we'll... We'll scrape by. Yes, that's right. Well, yeah, it's unfortunate. I actually, so I, my flagship radio station here is in the Wichita, Kansas area, and our new police chief actually just came from Philadelphia. So uh, uh, Joe Sullivan, I believe, was uh, in your force out there for a while. So uh, we're, there's a connection there, and he's been giving us a hard time about the Chiefs being in the Super Bowl this year. Well, Philadelphia Eagles fans are pretty diehard, <laughs> although uh, there's there's a lot of mess on the streets of Philadelphia, so he may have been happy for the estate. That's but, right. Uh, That's right. Had to yeah. try something a little bit different. That's right. Let's talk some healthcare for a second. Uh, obviously, things have been changing quite a bit over the years, and uh, I've talked about it quite a bit on this show, but I think there's a lot of a quote-unquote awakening of what's going on in the healthcare industry since COVID when we realized uh, what was going on and some of the medications and mandatory mask wearing or mandatory vaccines. And however people stand on these issues, I think it really brought to light the healthcare industry as a whole, on how well care is actually being done in the United States. From your opinion, from your perspective, are we getting better or are we getting worse with our health care in the country? Well, you don't even need to ask me. You can go ask the general American. And I think what they'll tell you is what I see every day. They're frustrated because they're paying more and they're getting less. And we're sold the bill of goods that this is demonstrating a failure of capitalism. But we have a system that's not we don't have free market system in healthcare. Mm. We fix the prices of what's given out for uh, Medicare care. That's fixed from the, the federal government. Even the product of Medicare alone, um, like if you take a look at Americans who receive Medicare, and I'm by no means saying get rid of Medicare, but more than 90% of Americans that have Medicare need to get something else besides Medicare, Medicare Advantage or Medigap. So, I mean, we keep on hearing, you know, Medicare for all, but I mean, even our Medicare is not working to the point of more than 90% of Americans who have it. 
feel the need to get something additional, right? Yeah. You know, so we're, we're, we're fixing prices. We're allowing the commercial markets to work off of those fixed prices. We allow kickbacks for behemoth organizations that are controlling our pharmaceutical market. I mean, we all kind of saw the, the coercion um, that, you know, we were pushed into to take a pharmaceutical product. But even before you had that, you know, Americans themselves are coerced into taking Medicare. You can't collect your Social Security unless you take Medicare. Did you know that? Yeah, yeah, it makes it mandatory. And it seems like, like you mentioned, it's almost like an a la carte thing. Almost like uh, when you go to an amusement park, you have to get the fast pass in order to cut through the line to get the better uh, better treatment. There is Now you have Medicare. That's nice. But now you need Medicare Advantage. Now you need Medicare Premium. Now you need Medicare Ultra Premium 2.0 in order to get the kind of care that you actually need that just becomes more and more expensive. When I thought the whole point of the program was to take care of people when they get to that age. Well, of course, but let me tell you who you're taking care of, speaking of the aged. You know that Medicare Advantage, um, United Healthcare is one of the biggest purveyors of Medicare Advantage. The AARP makes more money from their helping to hawk Medicare Advantage than they do from any other revenue stream. It's a gigantic perverse incentive. And yet AARP runs around Capitol Hill, you know, kind of lifting up the insurance companies that are helping to run the Medicare Advantage that's, you know, potentially putting lots of us in the poorhouse and that many physicians and many patients are frustrated with because it's not really covering their care these days. It is unfortunate. And we see less and less competition in the private market. When Donald Trump was in office, he talked about what he wanted to do to solve the health care issue was to just create more competition, have insurance companies flood a market, be able to have 10 different companies, be able to choose your own uh, insurance package or policies that you wanted, make it affordable, and actually be able to drive some competition in the market. Would that save the issue, or is that only a piece of what's going on right now? Well, so first of all, one has to recognize that there's um – you know, the different arenas of healthcare, and all of them have become more consolidated. Hospitals are more consolidated to the point where there's gigantic behemoth hospital systems that stem in Tennessee. I'm looking at you, HCA, that own hundreds of hospitals around the country, all the way down to Florida, Texas, you name it. Yeah. I mean, and there's large pharmacy chains that have swallowed up mom and pop pharmacies across the country. And then those large pharmacy chains sometimes own the pharmacy middlemen, the PBMs, the pharmacy benefit managers that are making actually more money for their large corporations because they've merged not only, uh, we say, horizontally, but vertically with pharmacies, with insurance companies themselves. And then we create all these perverse incentives there. And then what happens when we have all those perverse incentives created is whatever arena of healthcare we're describing, whether it's hospital who are buying other small hospitals and doctor's office, or whether we're talking about places like CVS that are buying pharmacies all over the country, or whether we're talking about insurance companies. And I mean, my gosh, we, we have almost a single insurance company. We have five that control almost all the market, right? But when, when all of that consolidates, then we've had that, that, went back into a community, like the mom and pop pharmacy, the hospital, the small doctor's office. It's not going back to community. It's going back to a big, centralized, gigantic corporation. Yeah. And now, like, I'm almost making it sound as though I'm, I'm not for business, but th- it's not business when it's monopoly. And then when you have, like, these, these big 
behemoth arenas of healthcare. And I'll, I'll just pick out two. Those PBMs that I mentioned for drug prices, they're oftentimes making up to 80 or 90% of the drug overall cost, the list price that we talk about. And then we talk about the hospital systems that are swallowing up doctor's office and other hospitals. There's so little transparency for where the money is going into these big, gigantic black holes of healthcare. Yeah. If there's no transparency and we can't see where the money's going, no wonder we're all so confused. Yeah, no, you're Open absolutely the book. right. Yeah, open the book and see. And like you said, it's not anti-business to, to think this. I mean, it's not business. It's not capitalism. When you centralize, you monopolize everything, you get in bed with government to make that benefit you and for you to get as much profit and squeeze it out without actually looking at what the consumer actually needs. And I thought, Marion, I thought that, that monopolies were actually illegal in the country, which is what one of the few roles of government's actually supposed to be, is to make sure that there are no monopolies. But it seems like the government is almost becoming the monopoly of healthcare by dictating what these companies can do, keeping just a few of them under their blanket and killing off everybody else. Or else maybe they're enabling it. You know, I wrote a recent article in the Daily Caller, uh, Time to End Policies Driving High Healthcare Costs. And it pointed out that, you know, remember how I pointed out that Medicare payments are often fixed? Well, you know, one of the Medicare payment system is called the site of care payment. And it, it matters whether or not you are paying a doctor's office that the doctor's office is owned by a hospital. If it's owned by a hospital, they get paid more. How do you think they arrange that? You know? yeah, yeah. The American Hospital Association is one of the biggest, richest lobbies in the country. And, you know, if patients knew this, they would be up in arms. So if you think about what that looks like, you know, there you are in rural Kansas. And you have a, a mom and pop you know, rheumatology office, you know, someone who takes care of um, your rheumatic diseases, your lupus, your rheumatoid arthritis. If they sell to a hospital, which over time they may be incentivized to do because they have so much overhead that they can't control. They have so much paperwork that they have to handle. They sell to the hospital the week after they sell. Medicare pays the hospital in the same, it could be in the same office. They, maybe they kept the same office. Yeah. They pay the hospital more than they paid that doctor. So, I mean, the hospital's incentivized to buy them. The physician is getting less and less all the time. And, you know, it, now you're looking at a situation where you may have had a local doctor, but if you have a big hospital complex that owns them that's not local to them, they're getting paid more. You're taking money out of the community. It's anti-small business, really, is what it is. Yeah, it really is. Marion, we got to take a hard break here. Can you stick over another segment with us? I can do another segment if you're happy with what you hear. Oh, please. I love it. I love the conversation. I want to keep it going when we come back here. It's Dr. Marion Mass. She is with Practicing Physicians of America. And as we talk about the healthcare industry, how can we get things back on track? And what are some of the flaws going on that we need to be aware of? to make our healthcare work for, I don't know, us. What a concept. The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Fighting for freedom every day. The Voice of Reason. With Andy Hoosier. Reason, common sense, rationale. That's just what we do on this program. So great to have you with us. Got a few minutes left of the show. Love this conversation. We're definitely having this guest back with us talking about the healthcare industry. What's wrong with it? And the bigger question is, what do we do about it? We don't like to just talk about the negativity. We like to talk about the solutions. What can we work towards? How can we fix these things? We're the doers, man. We're Americans, not American cans. 
yeah, I'm sticking with <laughs> I'm sticking with that one. We're hanging out with Dr. Marion Mass. She's the co-founder of Practicing Physicians of America. So, Marion, let's talk about the future of healthcare. Let's talk about the direction we're going. We talk. I, I love talking about here on the show. We love talking with direct primary care providers instead of using or at least uh, supplementing insurance, but having that monthly membership and getting that uh, that family clinic again for your family for whatever you need for testing or for the just the checkup or whatever. I think that's going to be the future of things again. While the hospitals and care kind of get centralized, that there's always a reset button and the consumers always try to fill a void whenever there is a void. And I think the void right now is that personalized care that you don't get at a major hospital that continues to centralize everything. Do you see that being the future? Do you see that moving forward in the country? I love me some DPC, direct primary care. And you know why? It's, it's not, it, it, first of all, we're, we're back at that local idea, right? We're yeah. back at someone who is setting up in the community and really taking care of their patients and knowing their patients. And the other reason DPC is so amazing is because DPC is transparent. So they set up their prices. They tell you, you know, what their cost is up front. You know, some of them have to add if they do a procedure or what have you, I mean, they all work differently, but you at least know what you're paying there. Um, they go above and beyond, you know, remember during the pandemic when um, everyone was needing telehealth? Well, yeah. DPC docs have been doing telehealth for a long time because they know their patients. They've developed something in healthcare that is a big missing commodity and that's trust. And then one of the other great things they do, and I believe ten, I believe your state of Kansas is a, um, is a state that can dispense pharmaceuticals. Yeah. Sometimes they get a hold of their own meds and they're able to dispense the medications. Um, you know, I don't mean to say this to shut out the pharmacists, but they're fulfilling the role of the pharmacist. They're, they're getting rid of the pharmacy benefit manager altogether, you know, these middlemen that I was talking about before. So direct primary care is a great innovation uh, that gives some patients some um, some personalized care. It's a transparent model. Love me that BBC. I love it. At the same time, let's go even smaller as well. My wife, uh, she became a master herbalist and she loves herbalism. She's been working on uh, different herbal remedies for individuals as well. Are you seeing a big trend of that way, trying for people to just say, instead of even getting pharmaceuticals altogether, I want to heal myself. I, w- I don't want a pill to mask my symptoms. I want to solve my issues so I don't have it any longer like herbalism it can potentially do. Is, is that a direction that we're going down as well? I think um, what I'm seeing, what you're talking about, is more like people uh, let their body heal, trying to think about food as medicine. Yeah. I'm a personally, I'm like, you know, I'm married to a physician. We have three children that are all in their 20s. They've had five rounds of antibiotics their whole life. Mm. Now, I mean, we could write the prescription anytime. So I'm a big believer that when you don't need a medication, you don't take the medication because yeah. every medication has a side effect. But I do think that there's a there's a danger to this as well. You don't want to be in a situation where you have um, patients that truly do need medication and are avoiding it when it, it could be helpful to them. Sure. But um, as far as us trying to be healthier, my gosh, I'm glad you mentioned that. Yeah. Because, you know, we all need to be thinking about moving more, eating better, getting correct sleep, uh, and making sure that we're healthy to begin with. If we didn't get that lesson from the COVID pandemic, <laughs> then we missed the biggest potential lesson. 
Yeah, I, you're right. I, I was just going to say, I think that was the biggest life lesson for us during COVID was that we don't need a vaccine to protect us. If we go out and get some vitamin D, we get some magnesium, we actually exercise, we get in that percentile that even if we do get COVID, it doesn't affect us a whole lot because we're healthy. Then I think that was the wake up call for us to do that. And we're not sitting there in the hospital on a ventilator during COVID. We've got about 30 seconds left here, Mary, and I love it. But I got to ask you your opinion at ranking us compared to healthcare in the rest of the world. Where do we fall on that list? Are we still at the top, do you think? Are we talking healthcare or medical care? It's two different things. Healthcare. If we're talking if we're talking a healthcare system that is made up of all these monopolies, we're doing terribly. Mm. If we're talking about like the ability to get medical care or the um, I can't even say the access. If we're talking about medical care, physicians that are well trained, pharmaceutical products that are needed, I think I think we're doing okay because we have a better like cancer recovery rate than many other countries. And we have That's faster good news. access. That's good so, news. Yeah. I love it. Mary, we're out of time. I got to get you back on the show again. Will you come on again with us? I love to talk. Can't you tell? I love it. I love it. It's great stuff. We'll get it. We'll do it again. It's Dr. Miriam Mass. We appreciate that. Got to take it. We're out of time for today. We're back at it again tomorrow for a Friday to wrap up your week. Until then, this is The Voice of Reason. We'll see you on the radio.